What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. It's Friday, and this week it's Mothra. It's not Godzilla. Yeah, we're talking about the rebirth of Mothra 2 here at uh, Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. I write for The Rap. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, My name is Whitney Seibold. I write for Slash Film. Uh, Rebirth of Mothra 2, that's a long labor it's just a really long <laughs> rebirth that's happening. And it's a trilogy. It's, yeah, there's a third one after this one. Yeah. Um We we're we're okay, we've said this a lot. Uh-huh. We're we're in a weird place. <laughs> we're in a very weird place. God, Godzilla rarely leaves us in like a nice comfortable groove, you know? Right. Uh to recap, uh this again, this is a podcast where we review Every single Godzilla movie and every single Godzilla adjacent movie. If there is a monster who has interacted with Godzilla in really any medium and they're in a movie, we're doing that. We're not doing the TV. There's a lot more than you'd think. But uh, Godzilla in the Heisei era died Mm -hmm. and was replaced by his son who got no spinoffs, which I think is bullshit. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, while they were taking a break and letting the Americans take a crack at Godzilla in the 90s, big mistake, we'll talk about that next week, they said, okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna pull back from Godzilla, and you know what? Everybody loves Mothra. It's their second most popular monster. People love Mothra. We're going to do an entire Mothra trilogy, and it was called Rebirth of Mothra, and... Oh, it's just called... Mothra in Japan. Oh, is it? Okay. And they, they, I... they changed the title to Rebirth of Mothra for American audiences. I was about to say, because Mothra is arguably reborn again in this one. Mothra has been reborn multiple times. It's we, we've kind of Mothra's had, like, thing. Mothra eggs and caterpillars and moths and eggs and yeah. caterpillars. Like, there's been multiple Mothras. Yeah. And I'm guessing that this is like sort of a transmigration metaphor that Mothra Hmm. is the same Mothra just reborn in body after body. Well, uh, this is one of the few times where the Mothra uh, uh, hatchling, if you will, uh, in the last movie, the first Rebirth of Mothra, we're going off the American title, um, it was actually around at the same time as the parent. That's right. That one kind of of muddles that a little bit. It muddles it a little bit. And in fact, uh, it's it's been stated pretty explicitly that this version of Mothra, Mm -hmm. this is the Heisei version of Mothra. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the second Heisei version of Mothra. Well, the point is this is like a a certain continuity. It doesn't connect to the original Mothra mythos. Yeah. And according to the Heisei Mothra continuity, uh, Mothra flew out into space Mm. and somehow like in this spiritual metaphysical fashion just proliferated all throughout the cosmos. Mm. So there's like thousands of Mothras out there in space. Is this canon? Cause this isn't really, this, this is, there's an element of the movie that implies this, but it's mm. not actually, where do you, where are you getting this from? From the images of okay. thousands of Mothras okay, in space. This movie, the of- literal Images on the screen of the film. <laughs> okay, okay. I was wondering if there was this was actually like written down somewhere, but oh. okay. Um, so again, if you'll recall, the previous Mothra movie is way more kid friendly and has a lot more in common tonally 
with, uh, and, and these were nothing new in the 90s, but they were really taking the world by storm. More of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers yeah, kind of it, vibe. Very kid-friendly, a little more arch. Super Saturday morning. Yeah. Uh, really simple characters. A mm. lot of uh, mm. mystical temples and adventure mm. tropes that uh, were just resurging at the time. And for the first time in the Heisei era, there's a significant focus on children, human children, being the protagonists, or at the very least, our, our gateway into the story, mm. which they started to do more in the Showa era towards the end. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, Heisei absolutely like decided not to do that. Um, with Mothra, we're going to just swinging that pendulum all the way back. Yeah. and so we had which, a bunch which of... is actually kind of a knockoff of Gamera. Mm-hmm. Gamera was friend to children. Well, it's my understanding that that's one of the reasons why God, they decided to do that with Godzilla, because Gamera was so popular. Yeah. And Gamera, after the first movie, and even in the first movie, because the first Gamera movie took it a little more seriously, if memory serves. A little, but there was still a, a young child. There was. Who, who was like a friend of Gamera's. Yeah, like one child in all of the world believed in Gamera. While everyone said Gamera is a horrible monster. <gasps> what if the Great Pumpkin and Gamera are the same creature? That would explain a lot. Like the fu- like the flame maybe yeah. Gamera's flames. Mm-hmm. Uh, Linus Van Pelt mistook that for like a jack o' lantern. Well, when it when Gamera is like in its shell, yeah, it looks like a pumpkin. If you a don't look, bit. if you if you don't look at it, if it if you see it at night, if you see like just fiery jets in the sky at night, that, that could you could think that's a what if, a jack o' lantern. What if Gamera is just one of those uh, people or kaiju rather? Mm. Uh, when it was just really into Halloween and like on Halloween they like you know paint the jack-o'-lantern on themselves <laughs> just to like just to be thematically fun I you dressed know? as Andre the Giant this year yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, in any case we also uh, in addition to the two small sort of sprite or fairy creatures called the uh, Elias mm. uh, we also met a, a third one totally new to this uh, uh, canon uh, called Belvira who is their evil sister who yeah. is uh, determined to conquer the world using various things. And she is a robot dragon, which is back in this movie, and they never explain that. She, uh, and it's more robotic this time. Yeah, we actually get, like, robot vision. Like, it like, has Terminator it has, vision. It has Terminator vision, and it has, like, mechanical wing parts now. It looks a little bit more like a, a plane monster. They're, they're, they're far more upfront about it being a robot, but they still don't even... There's not even an attempt to explain it. It's not like, I stole this okay. from a toy company. Like, no, nothing. No explanation well, you, whatsoever. But that that plays into the, the really kid-friendly tone. There are things that can be presented in a children's entertainment mm. that a kid is just going to fall in line with. You and I know this because we watched TV, like really horrible TV shows like He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. That implies where... that I never questioned He-Man and the Masters okay. of the Universe. And I did. That was part of the fun. But uh, you can tell... Uh, I don't encourage that you do this because the film... Or the, the TV series really is just utterly terrible. But... Uh, you go back and you watch some of the early episodes of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, oh, yeah. and you can tell that so much of the show was structured around the toy product, mm. and the toy product didn't have any kind of unifying theme or story. Nope. It started out as a barbarian adventure. It was like sword mm. and sandal with some magic yeah. elements. There's an evil wizard who's there's, a skeleton. There's, yeah, an evil, yeah. there's an evil skeleton wizard, and there's a... a, a a, a mild-mannered prince who has a magical sword, mm. and he can uh, call, you know, cast a spell with the sword and turn into a warrior, like a dark, yeah. dark ages warrior. Yeah. And uh, okay, I'm with you. Uh-huh. Sword sorcery—that's all of a of a piece. Yeah. But I guess because they didn't want to show this barbarian warrior with a sword cut through human flesh mm. and like decapitate bad guys. Yeah, because what else are you gonna do with a sword? 
Yeah. yeah. They needed uh, non-human combatants. And in the 1980s, robots were so handy for that. You mm. could have a horde of robots attack people. You could murder all mm. the ro- human-shaped oh. robots you like, and they just explode rather than bleed. And we still have that today. How many times have the yeah. Avengers movies exactly, ended yeah. with them fighting an army of, of faceless, faceless, nameless... non-human things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If if, can, can you imagine if they were just ordinary human beings trying to storm at the Avengers and they just started like yeah, wailing I, on them. I don't care if they're evil so or heroic. not. Yeah. It's it's going to look bad yeah. if they're not so, uh, the Chitari or a bunch of Ultrons yeah, or but, something. Yeah, if yeah. you've a thousand Ultrons, it's all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that meant that we were leaving a lot of the sword and sorcery stuff behind for mm-hmm. a science fiction element. And once that door was open, they could start having like... Tanks. Uh, Talon fighters and tanks and all mm-hmm. kinds of, like, whatever they well, wanted. And it's clear that There were some, no rules anymore. Well, the wheels were off. At some, well, the, there is, like, a, a tiny story there where it's, like, uh, He-Man's mom... We'll get to Mothra. He-Man's <laughs> mom was a human astronaut, which, by the way, Ma- pretty name. cool. The, 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 a main character in He-Man was, like, a woman who was an astronaut in the early 80s. That was not, like, hmm. the norm. Uh Sally Ride. I, I said the norm. Okay. <laughs> it's. It, I'm just saying. It's cool that they that oh, they yeah. did that. Right, yeah. Um. She crash landed on an alien planet. Mm-hmm. Um. She fell in love with a king. She got married. Seems really happy there. And she started a family. And this kingdom just happens to be Conan meets Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> and and you know what? Well, but it's, it's 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 it's. Yeah. The show is terrible. Mm. It makes no sense whatsoever, even from moment to moment, episode to episode. Yeah, the, it contradicts the, 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 itself the rules constantly. Change a lot, yeah. The whole point is, as you said, we're going to introduce a bunch of toys, and they're going to be cool toys. And the toys were cool. The toys were oh, the toys bright were and fun. colorful yeah, yeah. and distinct. They had little fun gimmicks. Uh, remember Mosquitoor? Oh yeah, yeah. I, he was I a, loved Mosquitoor. He, he was a. <laughs> I, I just want. I, Okay, now I want a shirt that's just you with like a chibi hat, and it's just you. I loved Mosquito. I loved Mosquito. Uh, Mosquito, uh, the toy, the toy of Mosquito. And keep in mind, the characters were non-existent; they were just toys. So you yeah, mentioned a very char- little. You mentioned a character, and, and we're yeah. going to talk about the toy first. So the yeah. Mosquito toy, I thought was cool because it had blood. Yeah, uh, there was like a a, 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 clear, a clear window on its chest, and you could push a little pump on its back, yeah. and blood would sort of pour down in that little chest yeah. plate. Because unlike other uh, characters uh, in fiction, mm. Mosquito had a chest with blood in it. <laughs> Which really, if you think about it. Well, were we just talking about how like half of those characters were like mutants and robots? I suppose uh, that's true, but a lot of them were still, yeah, what, what still a, like blood, I assume. One of my favorite toys was called the Slime Pit. It was a dinosaur skull with a hole in the back of the skull, yeah. and it was a- angled downward over a little area you could put a toy underneath it. And you just put the toy underneath it, a yeah. little T-Man toy, and you pour a little drum of slime into mm. the... The dinosaur skull. And it was like an iridescent it spew- green. It yeah, looked it was, cool. And, and it would spew out like the face of the dinosaur skull and coat your toy. Yeah. Don't use it with Mossman or Grizzlor. Uh, it said that in the instructions. Because <laughs> those had like those actual were, like, the fur, fur on the them. Ones. And you would just permanently ruin them. Yeah. 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 Uh, point being, yeah. when you're a kid and yeah. Rebirth of Mothra 2 and Rebirth of Mothra are very clearly courting a very young audience. Very. Especially uh, even they, more so this one, I think. Th- yeah, they, they can go for some pretty wild stuff and I think a younger audience is open-minded enough hmm. that they can accept a lot of these wild conceits without questioning the real- like the basic reality of the story. Because uh, the basic is reality... a very, very, very positive, positive way, way of to put saying that. Okay. Uh, point is... 
this movie's fucking nonsense. It is. It's absolute nonsense from and, start to finish. And so we're dealing with Mothra, but this is the new Mothra. Uh, yeah. By Toho's definition, this is a character named Mothra Leo, mm-hmm. but they don't refer to it as Mothra Leo in like, the film. They just call um, him Mothra, yeah. And it's, but it's like a fuzzier Mothra, mm-hmm. and I want to hug this Mothra. I, I told like you, a, I want like a Mothra plush. Like she's so te- bad. Teddy bear Mothra. I want a Mothra like a, this Mothra. I just want to hug mm-hmm. it. I want to go mm-hmm. to sleep with it. I want to like my one of my cats to fall asleep on it. It's gonna mm-hmm. be adorable. Um, and, and and there's a new monster. Oh, what is the name of the the, oh, the it's, sea uh, monster? Oh, this big it down. bat-like. They, they say it a million monster, times. Yeah. It's, I do love. There's a the IMDb trivia page uh, for Rebirth of Mothra, which it's unfortunate actually that there is not mm-hmm. as much information about the making of the Rebirth of Mothra movies as there are about the Godzilla movies. Uh-huh. Um, at the very least, not that I could find. But uh, the very skimpy trivia page on IMDb has a good line, which is, <coughs> um, uh-huh. uh hold on. Dagara. Dagara. Dagara, yeah. sorry. Dagara is the only villain in the Rebirth of Mothra trilogy to not be a Ghidorah. Oh, interesting, because we, we had Death Ghidorah in the last yeah. one. So I guess we'll have so. another Ghidorah to come, but I just like, so all these Ghidorahs, where do they come from? Um, so we got... And, and I'll say this, yeah. the, the, the monster design is like, it's a, li- a lot more cartoony, like the characters have bigger mm. eyes, their features are a lot more pronounced, they look mm. a little bit more like Halloween creatures than the creatures we've seen in the Godzilla movies, which Ooh. they're trying to make... They're trying to give those mo- those monsters, like, heft. Yeah. Stomping around. They look kind of scary. Remember, you know, Destoroya. Des- oh, yeah. This enormous creature. Uh, <clears throat> they're not doing that with any of the monsters in the Mothra films. They're a lot more lightweight. Uh, there's a lot the, the less... That Skeeter was pretty cool, I think. That Skeeter was a pretty but, big monster. Big monster, but looked a lot more like a toy. I think it's. I think. I think the lighting has a lot to do with that. Yeah, are, they're just blasting light at these. That's things. true. They, very they're much more key. brightly lit. In fact, the the big battle at the end of Rebirth of Mothra Two mm-hmm. is out in the open sunlight. Mm-hmm. While Mothra, who they, I guess they didn't want to use like a lot of time uh, establishing like flying effects because Mothra stays on the ground a lot of the most of this movie. <laughs> uh, there's there's a lot of uh, a bunch of evil starfish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the starfish are like monsters unto themselves. Yeah. They're kind of floating around in the ocean. And they attach themselves to Mothra in this movie. And they drag Mothra down, and Mothra spends the bulk of the movie coated with these starfish mm-hmm. on the top of a pyramid, not moving at all. Yeah. I, I want to write like a work of like Lovecraftian fiction called The Starfish Are Monsters Unto Themselves. <laughs> um just good line. My, my point is they have they they have a name. These uh, no, no. Let me look. I, I don't the, think, uh, did the starfish actually have a name? I thought they were just uh, like little little go go. They're called go go. No, no wait, no, no that's go go is uh, the the little furry thing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There's there's like a, there's uh, like a Pokemon is... creature in this one. Yeah, uh, yeah. Go go or is um they uh did you did you have to listen to the English dub because that's the only thing I was able. to uh, Yeah, I, I had to listen. Yeah, to unfortunately, the English dubs of these are not good. Uh, they think, they miss, they. Pronounce the monsters' names differently. They do. The That's what I was about to say. Because I think in in um, because uh, they call it uh, Gorgo in mm. uh, the English dub. Yeah, it's... Uh, which is the name of another monster, which is a Godzilla ripoff monster. I think from it was England. From, I, yeah, it was yeah, it was from England. It was an and they, Engli- did a... English kaiju film from the sixties. Yeah, yeah, it was a. In a uh, a knockoff. It was John, an M- John Carpenter made a movie where uh, Godzilla beat up Gorgo when he was like a teenager. Oh god! Like, he did like stop. He did like stop motion in his garage. Uh, uh, Gorgo is uh, the episode of Mystery Science Theater three thousand, which has a cameo from Leonard Malton. Hmm. Leonard Malton 
was in an episode of the movie trivia Schmodown, where we did an entrance that was in Gremlins, and he reviewed our entrance. He gave us a negative review. Gave us a negative review at our request. So we are, what's that, like two degrees of Kevin Bacon away two from Gorgo? Away from, away from Gorgo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, but, uh, but that's the British Gorgo. That not, is the British not, Gorgo. Not, this is a totally different not Gorgo. Go-Go, which is the, yeah. the fur monster from this. But and, and this, this fur monster just creeps I, me out, dude. Well, it, it has magic urine. It that's, has magic urine. <laughs> I'm not like, even that. That's not like us, like being like euphemism, like oh, it looks kind of like urine. No. no, it has magic urine, and there will be a POV shot in this movie of, of, the, the, of the, the little monster peeing on you, a, the audience, a, a Muppet peeing on the audience. It's yeah. like um, if you remember the the uh, mule converter from Valerian. It's that little <laughs> who, who could forget <laughs> that, that, that little monster. Like you feed it a pearl, and it like shits out 300 pearls like, yeah the the plot like, of the movie like valerian it's, it's bought, and the city of a thousand planets yeah. is it's a there's a little uh creature and whatever it eats it replicates yeah but right. it does rather so, than through bre- its digestive tract yeah rather than breaking it down it like replicates it's like this magic creature and, right so and, but yeah it, it doesn't specifically like poop it out its rear end it kind of like flies out of its back but that's that's what's what going on what it's else like, are we supposed to do digesting with these things yeah and, like pooping it out its body we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, we we started talking about this because we started talking about the very first shot in the movie, mm. Rebirth of Mothra 2, which opens with millions of Mothras. Just yeah, you, lots of Mothras flying all around. A lot of low-budget CG on these things. Well, which, honestly, we'll at the time was to, probably not that low-budget. We'll get back to the CG, because there's yeah. also... Uh, robot Mothra warriors that are achieved in CG, like that flying down a monster's throat in the movie's climax. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. We will get to that. Um, but yeah, it opens with like a million little Mothras. And I thought to myself, Oh, is this like an abstraction? Is this like a James Bond opening sequence? Mm. Uh, no, this is now Canon. Mothra Leo isn't just a big fuck off moth. Mothra Leo is millions of little Mothras. And when those millions of little Mothras, like, hang out and party together, they form a giant Mothra. Again, I thought that this this wasn't, like, literal. Later on in the movie, we will find out this is exactly how this new Mothra works. I don't understand that. <laughs> Shouldn't it have been born in a million little eggs? I don't understand this at all, but we're, we're going to go with it. Mm. So, we're introduced to Mothra. Mothra is flying around, and I get the impression that Mothra is still, like, acting like like a kid. Like, it's just, like, playing. It's flying around. It's having a good time. The Elias, the two little fairies, are, like, watching it, mm. uh, you know. Just sort of blissfully on a yeah. beach. Well, and, it's, and it's, like, swimming with, like, dolphins and shit. Like, it's That's flying right, over yeah, some yeah. dolphins. And it's all, it's very, it's, it's, it's a paradise, honestly. It looks lovely. Mm. And... I'm watching this and I'm thinking to myself... And, and, and some dynamic shots. There's a shot yeah. from underneath the ocean where we see from underneath the dolphins under the water mm-hmm. and we can kind of see Mothra above and yeah. like in the sky. It's like... That's very cool. And, and it's all like very quick moving. We yeah. don't get shots like that in God, too many Godzilla movies. Well, because Godzilla always, uh, especially in the Heisei era, um, was always a threat. Yeah. Mothra is a magical, God-benevolent creature. So, yeah, let's enjoy. So the Elias are just watching Mothra go. And at this point, I realized I never thought about something. Hmm. What do the Elias do all day? Well, if they live in paradise, they probably just lounge on a beach. Right? E- but they kind of e- do... Eat tropical fruits. Do they... Go swimming. Do they read? What, what, what do they... Yeah, they, they got, they got you know, 
books with titles like, you know, The Theta Covenant and, you know, <laughs> the, the Omega Conspiracy, that kind of stuff. Okay. They got Very a, specific. They got airport novels. That's, that's, that's so. my point. Um, the other thing I was thinking about when I started thinking about what the Elias do all day is, mm. um, and this will happen later, this, this is a Mothra movie, so they will summon Mothra using the classic Mothra song. Uh, do they rehearse that? They just know it. It's... But like it's the song of their people. I know it's the song of the people, but you have to learn it, right? Like you will have to practice. And there's choreography. Hey, pass, do they pass it down? So they will have to practice this, and every time they do that, does Mothra show up? It's like what? Oh, false alarm! No, no, they have to be sincere. They have to be sincere. Mo- so, no, Mothra no, is the great pumpkin. Mothra is also the great pumpkin. <laughs> Mothra and Gamera are both the great pumpkin. Because I was just thinking, like, because you have to use the the Mothra song to summon Mothra, right? Mm. Fine. How wrong does the song have to be before Mothra ignores you? <laughs> if you get like a verse wrong, like if you, t- you know, like like when well, like you're doing like, karaoke and you kind of like not paying attention and you kind of hum your way through part of it, do like, like a, uh, uh, Leonard Bernstein. Like how <laughs> how wrong can the Mothra song be? If you whiff the choreography, does Mothra get offended and leave? Maybe so maybe Mothra sends like a, that's where they get the little Mothras. <laughs> Those the, the little get, Mothra show some of the Mothras. Yeah, you, you get this. If you screw up, you get a small Mothra. Yeah, if you, you if do you only it right, get, you get main. If you get twenty five percent of it Mothra, wrong, yeah. you get you get seventy five percent of Mothra. <laughs> nice. So anyway, they're they're watching Mothra do his thing, uh, and um, then stuff happens. And what happens is uh, these red starfish kind of like bubble up, and like in like a yeah. lot of them, and they look like the starfish, like they look like the Starro. Uh, starfish from like the Suicide Squad. If you saw oh, that movie, yeah, yeah, or if you're yeah. familiar with well, the comics, they, they that like predates slap them. onto people's faces yeah. and take over their brain. Yeah. They're just the creepy looking starfish. And indeed, there's like a couple of guys who are like fishing, and they are ah, oh, there's so much junk in the ocean. Ah, oh, humanity, right? Themes, and then pollution. Uh, the the anti uh, anti pollution like environmentalist messages that came mm-hmm. into like kids entertainment. We talked about this last yeah. week uh, in our last episode. Um, when it was done well, fine. It was often <laughs> yeah, it was often one of the laziest possible things. Yeah. This environmentalist message. Well, and in, we shouldn't litter as much. Like, yeah. we, I'm gonna fight Ivan Ooze in the streets of New York, and remember not to litter, kids. You I'm know, gonna, it's like I'm gonna talk about this because the end of this movie uh-huh. has a, a, a you know like a lot of the even the Godzilla movies, even the serious Godzilla movies, end with a we learned something today, didn't we? About yeah, yeah. stuff like. It has one of the worst ones of those endings I've seen, and I'll talk about why. Uh, but in, part of it involves littering. Um, so these guys are like, ah, themes. And then the, the, the starfish come up, and the starfish, like, shoot Cronenbergian foam at them? Uh, yeah, melts their faces off. Yeah. Well, that's the implication. I don't think it actually well, does, we, we don't, but like, it looks like it does. Sadly, we do not see the actual yeah melting of the face. Face off. melting. The implication yeah. is, is, is not good. Um, so that's not great. Uh, and then, uh, also there are a couple of, um, dudes. Oh, that, those the same dudes. And they're going to be like, okay, we need to like find this mystery creature because if we find a new species, there'll be a lot of money in it for us. Mm. Okay. And then, um, that's what do a... they do to the cat? <laughs> Because they they they're mean to a cat in this. I think the cat was probably fine in real life, but there's a recurring joke where well, bad things happen to a cat. Um, 
I think it's like a it was like a cigarette or something burns a cat's tail or something. That's right, and the, and the, cat, goes, the, and the cat flies in the like they yeah. they put it. They didn't hurt the cat on purpose. They put a burning <laughs> cigarette in an ashtray, and the cat's tail. Yeah. Touched the zero and it flew in the air. Yeah, I, I, I don't mean ran the away. characters do, but the movie does. The movie, the movie does thinks that, yeah. that's funny, and frankly, I don't agree. But um, uh, I'll say this: it, it's an easy gag, mm-hmm. and they do it all the time. Mm-hmm. And I still think it's pretty funny when somebody is holding something on camera and they throw it off camera, uh-huh. and you are a crash and a, a panicked cat meowing like, off meow. screen. Yeah, uh, I think that's funny. Uh, that... The implication that a cat just got hit by. There was just it happened to be a cat there. I, I don't. I don't think it got hit. I think it was scared. Okay. Like it scared the cat. And then, um, my, uh, in Wet Hot American Summer, I think they use the exact same like pot shattering sound effect every time someone throws anything oh. off camera. <laughs> it's really. It always makes me laugh. Um, the, the breaking pot foley that was mm. probably recorded in some studio in like 1944. Yeah, it's just been it's, reused ever since. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, we uh, we meet uh, our trio of kids, new kids. Uh-huh. The kids from the first film, they learned a valuable lesson, and they were fine. New kids have to learn valuable lessons. Uh, we meet them in a classroom. There's two little boys, uh, and they're jerks. One of them has got a caterpillar, uh, which isn't really a jerk thing in and of itself. But uh, And then another kid's like, hey, give me that caterpillar. And he takes the caterpillar, and he's got like, the end of a stick, and he's like waving it up against like the little girl who like, sits in front of him in class. Uh-huh. And she's like, ah! And then the caterpillar flies across the room. And there's a, it's a CG caterpillar, by the way. It doesn't look good. Mm. And it flies, and the teacher goes, ah! And then it flies into her cleavage. That's right. That's the joke. Yeah, boobs. Boobs are funny when you're I, a little kid. I guess. And so those kids are in trouble, as they should be. Mm. Uh, and uh, the teacher, I guess, doesn't discipline them herself. She brings in some dude. And it turns out that the dude's like, okay... Time to beat them up. And then the teacher's like, no, 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 no. We don't we don't use corporal punishment. The guy's like, this is news to me. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the little girl, I guess trying to goad him into physically hurting these children, said, they don't like you. They're behind your back. They call you Harry Wart. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, well, that's not a very nice thing to call me. And the kids are like, ha, 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 ha. Your name is Harry mm-hmm. Wart. Mm-hmm. We're going to say that name many times over the course of the movie. And it's never going to be funny once. Not once. They don't actually say that in the movie. This, they should. This is, this is, this it is would you, be more honest. This is you giving a little bit of a value judgment, I, I sense. <laughs> oh, I'm um, sorry. Am I a critic giving a value judgment <laughs> on the quality of a piece of cinema? I think you're judging the characters, perhaps. Uh, I am judging the characters. Uh, they're, they're mean kids, at least at the beginning of the movie. I mean... Little kids can be insensitive sometimes. I've an eight-year-old. He's a wonderful child. He can hey, also be insensitive sometimes because he's eight. Bullied constantly oh. when I was a little kid. I know kids can be mean. Hmm. Uh, I also know that um, that's that's not nice. I'm not gonna like take that too lightly. I, yeah. I, so I, gonna, I, when the kids are being mean, I'm gonna say, "Hey, those are mean kids." I think they're run of the mill mean. No, oh yeah, they're not. Yeah. They're not. These aren't evil kids. They're yeah. just. They're just. They're just jerks. Yeah. And, and so and these kids are the ones who discover. Uh, they leave school and they discover Go Go out in the woods. Yeah. Well, specifically the girl does first. She's mm. going out picking flowers, and uh, she picks up a flower, and it turns out she actually picked up the antenna mm. of a little creature. And I'm trying to figure out how to describe this. It Imagine looks- like a little tiny cousin it. Like well, a little it, it looks fur like a creature. Um, we, uh, 
there, there's some debate as to what they're actually called. But if you remember, uh, and these mm-hmm. things were everywhere in the 80s, uh, there were little uh, cotton balls, co- brightly colored cotton balls oh, with yeah. googly eyes, oh, yeah. two antenna, and sticker feet. Oh, colors. yeah. God, whatever uh, happened to those? I haven't seen um, those in forever. Uh, I called them whoopies. They're also called we- weeples, I believe. Uh, no, weebles wobbled and didn't fall down. Not, not, we- not weeble wobbles. Okay. Weeples with a P. Ah. P U L S. I called them whoopies. Uh, they mm. used to be like, you could get them at like office supply stores. Oh, yeah. Uh, they were they're, everywhere. They're um, cheap to produce, and you could make a billion of them, and you just get. Yeah, I, had, I had those. They were yeah. great. It looks like a whoopee. It, it looks like a fry guy, which is as dated, if not more so, a <laughs> reference. I, I can't explain what a whoopee is. You have to explain what a fry guy is. Okay, but basically, basically, it's like the size of a small cat, but it has no limbs. Hmm. It has long, kind of blonde hair. Uh, it's, got and little, it has, it's got little feet. It has a little, okay, feet, but not limbs is my no. point. Like, it doesn't have any, you know, hmm. not, nothing like sticking out and waving at you. It has feet. It has... Angry human eyes. Uh-huh. It looks like Diabolic from those old Diabolic uh, <laughs> comic books. If you're not from Europe, you probably don't even know what I'm talking about. But there's a there's a comic I, I love book that we're just we're winning everybody over with our <laughs> up to date, completely recognizable references. Our <laughs> attempt here is to describe a movie to you that there's a decent chance you haven't seen, and I think it speaks a lot to the type of person that Whitney and I are, that all of our references are more esoteric than what than the we're, movie we're describing. describing. But Diabolic, okay. real fast, in, uh, in I think it's especially popular in like France and Italy. People might know Diabolic because of Mr. Sands Theater. Also, because, uh, Mario, and one Mario of the best Bava, movies they ever did. Yeah, Mario too. Bava directed a movie of the Diabolic Mm. With a K, uh, Diabolic Comics. Uh, called uh, Danger Diabolic. Danger, colon, Diabolic. And, mm. um, Diabolic was not a superhero. Diabolic was a supervillain. But he was he a cool, was, sexy supervillain. He was a sexy cat burglar character. Yeah. Wearing, and, like, a skin-tight suit, ninja suit. And, and what he would do is he would always, like, take on worse people than him. Either, mm. like, supervillains or corrupt or corrupt or incompetent cops. Uh, or, or just the rich and wealthy. And um, that's it. He's... Mm. Just it's it's like if a Batman villain they didn't pretend he was a bad guy, mm. they just thought he was cool and sexy, and he is cool and sexy. And Danger Diabolic is one of my favorite comic book movies ever. And I think <laughs> when I say it's one of the best movies MST3K ever did, I don't mean one of the best episodes. It's one of the best, best movies, movies that they, they ever did. Yeah. It's, and it actually pisses me off that they did that one. But um, great fucking costume. If they, they, what was the um, Beastie Boys video where they did the Diabolic? Uh, reference. Oh, I, I don't remember. They did a they did a diabolic piece. Of I'm gonna I'm gonna look that up because that's gonna drive me nuts. But anyway, it's got angry diabolic eyes, um, peeking out through its fur. Yeah, and they look human too, like mm. like, like storm shadow or something, like peeking out <laughs> through a bandolier. Um, and, and and they learn uh, when you're sort of running around. They're called mm. these uh, rambunctious children. One of them falls and scrapes his knee, and Gogo, this creature, mm. pees on him. Yes, and the pee heals his wounds. Now, this will be important. Body a, moving. That's the music body video. moving. If you don't right. have time to watch Danger Diabolic the movie, watch the music video for Body Moving. At least get an image of it. Yeah, it's great. Um, okay, uh, I don't care how gross that is. That's I a do. Ha- that's a handy creature to have. It is handy. I do care about how gross it is. I I wouldn't care if I were injured. Is my point. Well, my point is: is it, are you injured? Well, here's the deal. Okay, my wound has healed. Mm-hmm. Has it healed? over an infection because i'm still i'm still gonna go to a doctor after this i'm a little concerned check it out a a monster just just peed on an open wound i'm sorry audience but this is what we have to deal with today i told you we were in a weird place (laughs) i have i i do take issue with it 
Um, and I, I think it's almost immediately that, like, very shortly after they find Gogo. Yeah. That's when Belvira shows up. Oh, and she, they say, like, what is this? And Belvira's like, oh, that's a Gogo. Yeah. Uh, and, that and is they, a magical she, creature. And she she's little tiny. She's on her little robot dragon. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she's being Rita Repulsa again. She's being really yeah. diabolical. But she's also giving us a fair amount of exposition, which we need. So it turns out there is, and uh, the the... Godzilla and Godzilla Jason movies love this. An underwater civilization. It's Mu again. <laughs> from at from uh, Atragon. Atragon. And also M- Mu, uh, Mu is real. Mu is based, real. Based on real history. Okay. Yeah. It's a way, that's a hell of a way I, to phrase it. Mu, <laughs> just as real as Atlantis and uh, Loch Ness Monster. All that stuff. It's a all pre-existing real. legend. Let's put yes. it that way. Okay. No, it's real. I don't want I've Google been, it. I've been find there. it on Google Maps. <laughs> Where is it? It's in the Atlantic. <laughs> oh. oh, fine. I'll just go. Um, there's an underwater uh, <laughs> uh, civilization. They sank to the mm-hmm. bottom of the sea many years ago, and uh, they have a treasure, and the treasure can perform miracles. And the Go-Go will help you find the treasure mm-hmm. so that you can basically get a wish. And Belvira is going to use this to wish humanity destroyed or to rule the planet or something she, she's mad at she's mad at humans mm. they never explain who hurt belvira because she's it's personal for her she yeah. really hates humans they, they explain that the alias uh who were freed in the last movie mm. and like, who are remember, inconsistently pronounced seal. in every version of this i've like seen Eli- by the, yeah. elias elias i knew by that day it was born of two fathers elias and mega weapon uh, <laughs> elias and coteus yeah. um uh oh Elias and Coteus sound like two Godzilla monsters. I would, I would, I would and, and not that. just, and not just a talented actor. Yeah, um, I like Elias Coteus. He's a great. Actor. I think he's a very yeah. good actor. Um, uh, but yeah, they they explain that the Elias are like impossibly ancient, like they were living underground for a really long time. Hmm. So I think she's just Seems let let her mad. resentment grow over how humanity has ruled but the planet for like I think she's like twelve thousand years old or something. I right, think but her, but her sisters like are pretty high in humanity. So like I just mm. wonder like it seems like Belfira mm. was she like did she fall in love with a human and was betrayed? Well, think, was think she of, captured by humans and were could, they mean to her? We've we've compared <laughs> Mothra before to uh, to deities. Godzilla is mm-hmm. more like a force of nature, uh, a technological monster yeah. born of like humanity's uh, inventions. More of a behemoth than anything yeah, else. Um, yeah. Mothra has a little bit more of a, a, a mystical quality. Right. Uh, Mothra is a little bit more of a god. And mm. so if you think of the uh, characters throughout the Mothra mythos mm. as like bitter Olympian figures, minor deities from uh, from like oh. uh, from like the Theogony, yeah. um, then you'll have you'll have like sort of bitter gods and goddesses. You'll have benevolent gods and goddesses who represent facets of nature. Those are the kinds of characters we're dealing with. with Mothra. So I, I thought we were going to go with that actually mm-hmm. was like, okay, if Mothra is a deity, a god, um, people in different religions have different interpretations of that religion. Mm-hmm. And so there are people who believe in a religion that go, hey, you know, the world is a good place and we should all be good to each other. And then people are like, the world is a bad place, mm-hmm. but we believe in the same things somehow. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it could be that. Yeah. Also, Belvira just... If Mothra is here to protect the planet, it must be here to protect it from something. Right. And humanity starts a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. Ergo, humanity bad. Yeah. And indeed, 
I don't disagree, all, though, all of Vera. These, now, these, these ideas of, uh, like, the environment hangs in the balance between these sort of hmm. uh, creature-like deities that are going to have it out uh, because of, like, various facets of humanity are butting heads. Like, mm-hmm. there's the, the people who want to destroy and pollute and the people who are a little bit more benevolent and want to protect and, mm-hmm. and restore. Um, What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everything we're describing is a fucking Pokemon movie. It is. I've, I've it literally seen, is a Pokemon I've, I've in this seen, movie. Yeah, uh, I've I've seen the Pokemon movies. Uh, Pretty much all the Pokemon movies. At this point. I, I think I've missed one. I think there's like one, one of the that's come out that yeah. I haven't seen. But yeah, I've seen like twenty-seven of those Pokemon movies. Uh, God, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's some classics I still haven't watched. You know, how many other some, how still ma- some movies that I still need to get to? But I've seen all the Pokemon movies. How many other? And I use this word intentionally. And oh. I want you're gonna you're gonna bristle. How many other maniacs? Are how there? many other respectable film critics? Oh God, have seen twenty seven Pokemon movies. A lot of them would be like, well, I'm not going to do that. And I'd be like, I respect you a little less than I respect Whitney Seibold <laughs> for doing the work. <coughs> Look, that's a if, full contact sport film criticism so, if you're doing it right. It's, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't, it, it's not real unless you hurt a little. Uh, <laughs> that's film criticism. Oh, uh, write you, that book. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there needs to be pain. Negative, That's the way you know it's real. Negative reinforcement film criticism. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I've, so I've seen all those Pokemon movies. Uh, I'll get into why later. Um, but yeah, a lot of the Pokemon movies uh, deal with these Godzilla-like creatures. There's a lot mm. of... Uh, they call them legendary Pokemon in the mythos mm. of the Pokemon universe. They're just yeah, the, the really big ones. Yeah, the really big ones, and there's only one of them. Like, yeah. there's not like thousands of there's thousands of Pikachu's, but there's only one of this, like yeah. one Rayquaza, you know. Um, and it's floating around in space, and then Alien comes down, and they they have it out. Um, that that's the vibe I'm getting here. That uh, this was something that I guess was preoccupying us in the '90s because it became very prolific, or maybe it was just sort of a storytelling trend. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe we can unpack that. What, what was going on with our environmentalist messages, especially in Japanese entertainment, mm-hmm. where we had to have various facets of humanity just sort of butt heads in the form of these creatures? Well, the, the whole Pokemon premise, which again is relevant here, mm. um, it's always weird to me because on one hand, it represents a sort of... Um, uh, what, what's what I'm looking for? A symbiosis, if you will, mm. where uh, humanity lives hand in hand with the Pokemon. The, whole, right. the heroes want to live in harmony with Pokemon. They're, they're teammates with their Pokemon. Yeah. They're friends. Whereas, and and even the bad guys, at least the early ones, like Team Rocket, they they're friends, friends with, with Meowth. Meowth. Yeah, yeah. Like Meowth, but Meowth was also like a traitor, and so they like they wanted <laughs> to like steal Pokemon. Mm. Um, but even the good guys wanted to take animals, mm. put them in little pens, like really little pens. Because and just keep trans- them in the pocket and mm-hmm. then use them to fight their battles for them. Mm. 
it's a bit of a mixed message, really. Well, the, the big the big mixed, mixed message of Pokemon universe is that's the premise of Pokemon is mm. you, you capture these animals and you have them fight each other and whoever mm. has the, for your amusement or, or your yeah, or your power whoever has the yeah, the mightier animal wins the match and uh, the movies are all come to the same conclusion that fighting and using Pokemon to as sort of your avatar mm-hmm. is like morally wrong like right. it's the worst possible thing to do but at the start of every movie that's back where they are yeah, i have my team we're, we're a loving team together i'm glad we can spend so much time with our pokemon let's go to a tournament right and, and they use these very benign sportsman-like terms tournament and getting along very well with your teammates yeah. but then but then we're if, gonna shoot electricity at your pet and then i, I guess the idea is the only and this is me just sort of extrapolating uh if you can fight on like one-to-one terms Mm. like just person to person yeah that kind of conflict like a boxing match that's okay Mm. but once you take it out to like a planet-wide scale that's not okay it's the difference between like a a fist fight in a bar and a a war you know those are Mm. both conflicts between people i think but i I think what what the real issue Mm. that we're dealing with here is that A lot of children's entertainment Mm. uh, needs to do two things. One, be cool. Yeah. It needs to be something kids can enjoy, something that's active. Impressed impressed by the action and the creatures. Drama and conflict and all that kind of stuff. But it also, as children's entertainment, needs to have a message. Mm. And if your coolness is based off of action and conflict, Mm. uh, then any rational message would be that conflict is bad. Mm. But we can't undo the conflict because that's the pre- selling point. predicated on conflict. So yeah. it's a paradox. You mm. you need to tell the message that fighting is bad and mm. you need to do that through a lot of fighting. Yeah. And even if you come to a conclusion at the end, you still need to leave people in a position where they can keep fighting because that's how you make your money. Mm. It is uh, uh, commerce and philosophy at odds. Yeah. Here we are. Uh, so, so th- th- this is. I mean, there is something kind of in- inherently, forgive me for this, but ca- kind of immoral. Yeah. In uh, in action, uh, where because <sighs> no, no, no matter no matter what, if your message is going to be, uh, you know, about sort of the the violence of conflict and how that is a, mm-hmm. a, a net negative for the world, mm-hmm. but you're still filming it in such a way to excite an audience, right? then you're sending a mixed message. There are ways to do this. Oh. There really are. Um, the most obvious way, and again, even this is, um, you know, can be done very badly, is the hero who doesn't want to fight. Mm. And they're pushed to by circumstance, people who won't back down. Yeah, the, uh, the but karate, there's a tragedy to that. There's yeah. a tragedy to that. And that, there's an element of that. And you can do that, especially if the longer you hold off mm. until they do that fighting the less you fall into the trap of we're here because the fighting is cool. Like if John Wick hadn't started killing people until the third act, uh-huh. that might have sold, but he does it right at the beginning. Mm. We're here for the fighting. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, something like... Uh, well, like think of Bruce Lee movies. Exactly. Yeah, Bruce Lee... Um, uh, I haven't seen a, a Bruce well, Lee... I've seen some of Bruce Lee's movies. Well, The Big Lee's Boss movies, is the but, best um, example of this, I think, because that, was, yeah, like, that he, was his first starring role, uh, and he played a guy who... He's a martial arts master, but he was told, don't fight. And he's working, I think it's like an ice factory or something, and it's run by a bunch of corrupt guys. And this whole movie is, he's trying not to fight. He's trying not to fight. And then by the end of the movie, they've pushed him so far that he hits a guy, and he flies through a wall and leaves a hole in the wall in the shape of him. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is silly even in the movie. Um, or even, and, and honestly, uh, Fist of Fury, which is, I, I think, arguably his best movie. I think it certainly is the most influential in a lot of ways. Uh, that's one where his, uh, his, his martial arts uh, uh, teacher uh, is killed, and he thinks mm. it is uh, murder. And uh, everyone else at his school is saying, well, we're not supposed to go fight people. This is ant- antithetical to martial arts. Martial arts is about self-improvement. Martial uh-huh. arts is about philosophy. Martial arts is about the unification of mind and body. There's more to it than fighting. When Bruce Lee decides right at the beginning to go on a kick-ass spree, <laughs> throughout the entire movie, it is articulated over and over again, he's the one doing something wrong. And that ultimately is the message. You can do that, but you have to commit. And you can probably only do it once, because the more you do it, the more... Like, Death Wish is a good example here, where the oh, there original you go. Death yeah, Wish... Like Paul Kersey, yeah. Paul, it's a tragedy that Paul Kersey has fallen so far that he goes to the streets and shoots criminals. It's, it's not cool. It's sad. In the sequels, because he has to keep doing it, you have to keep justifying it. Mm. And then it gets cooler and cooler and cooler until the entire so series is really irresponsible. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's really irresponsible, that series. And even the first one arguably was, too. But at the very least, they tried to toe that line. <clears throat> anyway, um, so there's a little fur urine monster, and it relates to that. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. We so, get, how did we get here? You know what would have improved Death Wish was if uh, Charles Bronson peed on a guy and healed his bullet wounds. What is it like listening to our podcasts? <laughs> I, I'm too I, close look, to them. I don't know. Is, look, does, we, this, we re- does this even make sense? We record these sober, but God, I hope you're not. Um, what is this? How do you, so, how do you live? Uh... The uh, I, I I don't remember how this came up in the movie, mm. but there's you mentioned the city of Moon, yeah, yeah, and there's a and there's a, a a treasure down there, and the kids and these two dudes, yeah, uh, who don't know them, mm-hmm. uh, decide to go to a temple in the sea. Yeah, okay, so I I can get you there. Yeah. Uh, the kids are told. Um, uh, oh, by the way, uh, the monster has been unleashed already. That's something we, we left out. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Monster, what's the... Uh, D- Dagara? Dagara, yeah. Dagara. And Dagara looks like like a... It's almost like a turtle, but it's more like a giant manta ray. It's, it's like a manta ray with a turtle head, and it, yeah. can, and it can fly. It's like this mm. this big suction cup-looking thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it keeps generating all of these uh, killer starfish, like little killer starfish, and they're starting to like populate the ocean. And if we don't stop that, it's going to destroy the world. So... The, the Elias tell the little kids, I, we need your help. Never mind why. But we need your help, because they really don't do anything. But, like, we need your help to go to this underwater temple, find this hidden treasure, activate this miracle device or magic gem or whatever. That's a magical and, thing. Yeah. And, and use that to save the day. Meanwhile... The two guys who went off hunting for the fictional species, who are very, uh, you know, they're in it for their own personal game. Belvira goes to them, mm. and she's going to use them, and they're going to be her uh, her Balkan skull, her klutzy. <laughs> not Balkan skull, she isn't the best example here. They're, they're going to be like Fisher Stevens and that other guy in Super Mario Brothers, the movie. Yeah. Just the, 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 the two side guys who are like kind of evil, 
but maybe they're not that evil. Yeah. But they're going to be working for Belvira, and they want to find that thing for their own purposes, or more specifically, Belvira's, and Belvira wants to rule the world. The kids steal Harry Wart's boat, which means they will be screaming the words Harry Wart a lot more. They get in the boat, they go to this place, and it turns out that the hidden lost city of... Actually, they stop calling it Moo after a while. It's actually called something else. Hold on. Oh, um... um Hold on, it's uh, 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 Nirai Kanai. They go to the Nirai, Nirai Kanai. Yeah, yeah, they go to Nirai Kanai, and it turns out that this hidden civilization that's been lost for thousands of years was about a hundred yards off of a populated beach, about ten yards under the water. <laughs> I don't know how we missed it, but it's it's just one of those things where it's like you go to the fridge, where's the mayonnaise? Uh-huh. <laughs> and he's like, honey, where's the mayonnaise? And it's, like, it's, it's, like, it's, it's right, right in the there. middle of the shelf. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What was I thinking? But for thousands of years. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> That's some old mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the Gogo uh, uh, go- uh, jumps off the boat mm. into the underwater pyramid. And the underwater pyramid emerges from the sea. Mm-hmm. Looks pretty cool, actually. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, now it is a big old pyramid that they need to explore, and, and there's the, a hidden treasure in the there. The pyramid is straight out of, like, a kid's game show. Oh, like, yeah. It's, it's really cliched, a lot of big, like, curve and fade. Mm-hmm. What was um, Secrets of the Hidden Secret- Temple or I something think that like was that? It. Yeah, yeah, Secrets of the Hidden Temple, yeah. Um, it looks like that. Yeah, it does. Which is to say, it doesn't look bad. A lot of it's it practical, look, but, it, but, like, it's... it's practi- it, but it looks like a theme park. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the kids are running around this temple, and the the... the Bad guy henchmen are running around the temple, and they're all trying to like solve this thing. There's uh, clearly someone who saw this movie really liked Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade because there's a whole bit oh, where the, there's uh, a chasm. The bridge. Yeah, yeah. There's a chasm where they need to cross it, and if you recall, at the end of Indiana Jones, it's like in order to cross this chasm, you have to take a leap of faith, mm. uh, which just means basically if you step off into nothing, there's actually like a, a an secret, invisible bridge, an invisible yeah. bridge, which is actually not invisible; it's just painted to look like the ground, which means mm. that if you turned your head slightly. To the left, you would have seen well, that, and, and that's whatever. the way they film it. Like the yeah. camera changes, and it's, oh, you can see the bridge that now. That blew and... my mind when I saw that as a kid. Oh, it was awesome when you were a yeah. kid. Oh god. Um, um, but uh, so they do that again, like the exact same. They shtick. do it again, although uh, I don't buy it in Last Crusade because there's shots from above where yeah. we can see him looking down into a chasm, mm. like you'd see the bridge. Yeah. In this one, they actually used a practical effect where the kids step out onto like uh, a, a painted. Yeah. background yeah so like they would be able to see from their perspective that it's just a floor mm-hmm. but from the way they put the camera it looks like a chasm and yeah. so when they step out it looks like they're stepping out into nothingness it's actually yeah. a pretty cool effect yeah, it works it works like fine a, just uh, a, a, uh, cl- a clever way to do just painting on set you know? Luca can I help you buddy he wants to join the podcast my cat's here um hmm. anyway so they're all, they're all looking around for this stuff and uh, meanwhile uh Dagara is uh is it Dagara? D- Dagara, yeah. Dagara, sorry, it was one I, I keep thinking of Dagara, uh, the different monster. Um Duh. uh it's 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 fucking around. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's causing some shit. <laughs> and so and so the Elias summon Mothra Leo and they do their song. Mm. It's a great song, I'll never get tired of it. And then Mothra Leo shows up and it's like, aha my time has come. And he starts fighting 
Dagara, and then Belvira's like, hey, Dagara, you're an underwater thing, and it's a flying thing. Go underwater. Mothra can't do shit down there. And it turns out she's right, because when Mothra gets dragged down, that's when Dagara, that's Dagara's time to shine. Oh, yeah. Starts beating the shit out of Mothra Leo. Things are not going well. And then Mothra Leo starts getting covered in those evil starfish. Yeah. Like, head to toe. Ooh, that's it, not It good. looks like a scab, too. Yeah, it's pretty it looks, gross looks like an infection. And so when Mothra finally, like, escapes and flies away, and, like, the Elias are, like, on their little tiny Mothra Leo, uh, not Leo, a fairy, uh, mm-hmm. who is, doesn't get to be part of Mothra, I guess they didn't want to. Well, yeah, that's, that's the rehearsal Mothra. That's the one they summoned. <laughs> That's what we were talking about before. <laughs> Touche. Yeah. Touche. You're right. And I'm wrong. Uh, they start like trying to like shoot lasers and like shoot off all the little starfish. And it's really hard to do. So they give up after about 30 seconds. And I'm like, keep trying. But okay, never mind. And uh, so Mothra uh, finally like lands on top of the pyramid. And the pyramid is protected by these giant stone pillars that shoot lasers mm. at Dagara. And so Dagara's like, okay, well... Uh, I guess I'll just wait here. Hmm. And uh, Mothra... Well, Mothra's kind of fucked. Not really much Mothra can do at the moment. Um, the kids are running from the bad guys. The bad guys try to kill the kids, by the way. It gets real dark for a second. <laughs> and then the the um, uh, the Elias show up and are like, Hey, don't do that. And they're like, Oh, sorry, I, I are bad. And they're like, Well, you know... the that's really bad don't do that and they're like ah and the kid's like hey they apologized so we're gonna immediately forgive them and it's like oh great and then as soon as belvira shows up the bad guys are like nope we're evil again ha 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 you shouldn't have forgiven us it's like (laughs) oh man this will happen like two more times um they finally like find their way into like the center of the pyramid and they're looking for the magical miracle thing and they find these big gems and it turns out it's not the gems they actually activate a hologram of, of like the princess Athena like it's a goddess it's, it's like a princess and the princess like she was the princess of Mu or the uh, near mm. Kanai and um, she's like yeah you have you have found my hidden temple well done everybody here's the haps uh, so basically uh, we were a big old civilization and we polluted everything and we created Dagara to eat our pollution. That was yeah. what it was. It was our solution to pollution. It was basically like we're going to do something about pollution in a way that's actually very positive and actually make it part of the ecosystem. Uh, and then that thing turned evil and it tried to destroy us. Then we all sank to the bottom of the sea. And in a last ditch effort, I said, "Hey, create a miracle device, but let's not use it. Let's wait a few thousand years until some kids find it, and then <laughs> they can wish for whatever they want." Hopefully they'll use it to stop uh, Dagara, but maybe not. I don't know. Who can say? So it turns out the miracle machine has a heart because it has to want to grant the wish of whoever finds it. And it was go-go all along. Mm. Really Mm. makes you think. Really makes you think. (laughs) Wait, really? No, no, it doesn't. Not for a second. <laughs> no. So, like, first off, that's a very poorly protected miracle machine. <laughs> the people tried to kill that thing. So, Gogo is like, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was me. But he doesn't talk, so just sort of looks at it with angry eyes. It's only got one look. <laughs> 
And it's basically like, okay. Oh, and oh, and also <laughs> it uh, it uh, pisses on someone's face again, and that's the POV. I forgot. Yeah, to yeah. That. Uh, like it gets like melted by one of the um, uh, starfish. Yeah, and they and yeah. heals him. Yeah. So they make a wish, and everything's going great, and the the pyramid starts to collapse. I don't know why you wished for that part, but then they have to like get out of the pyramid. Will they get out of the pyramid? Yes, uh, and it looks like people might die, but then oh, they and, don't. Uh, we and we forgot to mention um, mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, the uh, alias the two. Uh, fairies yeah. on, on the back of miniature Mothra yeah. uh, have their own like superpowers. Uh, yeah. They fly around shooting blasts. No, I thought that they were trying to shoot off the, the starfish. Off okay. The Mothra. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they, they gave up after 30 seconds. Th- th- that's the, the first time we've ever seen that though. Like, yeah, they, they, like, they don't have fairy like, has lasers. Fairy, we've seen that before, but they can shoot it. They, out. they shoot it like it's but they, them shooting it out of their own hands. But they do it by saying, you know, doing the Mothra song, but yeah. only like a little piece of it. Mm. So I guess if you only sing a little piece of it, you shoot lasers. Get some, yeah. Um, all of this is happening, and all of this energy like comes out of the temple, and uh, Mothra goes through its Pokemon evolution. And this is, <laughs> I guess, this movie's rebirth of Mothra, because now Mothra looks badass. It's, it's, it's got, like, sharp point, angles. It's pointier now. Yeah. Um, there was... Um... Oh god! Uh, there was a a Homestar Runner cartoon okay. where they were spoofing like this trend in '90s cartoons yeah. to make everything pointier. Yeah, um, yeah, just revamp for the '90s, and everything got like a lot more rock and roll. Um, yeah, th- this is exemplified in something like Lunatics Unleashed. Yeah. Look up that show at some point. Yeah, another thing that's more obscure they, than the movie we're they, talking they, about. They tried to do a, a riff on Looney Tunes where they were all superheroes in the future. And, yeah, uh, and like make the, it look and, cool and badass. And it, and like it wasn't like Bugs Bunny puts on a superhero costume. It was a new yeah. character. Yeah, like this like Robo Bunny character. Yeah, I don't even this. know what to do with that. <laughs> it was called Lunatics even, on the I don't even fucking know what to do with that. And this that was like the worst. It was like the. Not as bad as Space Jam, because nothing is. No. But uh, it, it was, like, right down in that pit yeah. with Space Jam. Uh, and I feel like this, it's just the time for it, uh, where we're going to have Mothra, mm-hmm. benevolent deity, fighting these, like, forces of nature. But we also have to have, like, this pointy CGI monstrosity. Well, we can sell that. So, yeah. With it's a new it's version a new, of Mothra It's a new to toy, sell. yeah. Yeah. And so it turns into badass Robo Mothra, which is realized through CGI. Mm-hmm. Which is this the first Toho CGI monster? I think it uh, might be in any for any meaningful length of time. I think so. Yes. Yeah. Because <clears throat> we had like CGI like uh, versions of Godzilla like in computers, mm. and I think there might have been like a moment in like the last movie where Mothra was like briefly CGI. Maybe I know and, like a you... transformation sequence or something. Something but... like that. But yeah. yeah, this is like the first I think whole like there's no live action version of these creatures. They're all animated. Yeah. And they turn into these like little pointy things, and then there's this very bizarre sequence oh, yeah. where they fly into Dagara's mouth. Okay, so Mothra once again separates into a bunch of little Mothras. Yeah, they fly little, in. little, they, little pointy Mothras. Their finishing move against Dagara is they fly into uh, Dagara's mouth through its body. I'm sorry, into its colon. Yeah, they they fly into its. Uh, yeah. And they start, like, shooting out all the starfish that are inside. They're, they're, they're taking care of polyps, which I think is actually good. <laughs> I think it's actually a kind thing to do. And then they shoot out again, and Dagger's like, well, that's it for me. And then that's that. I feel like I'm forgetting something. Hang on, I'm looking at my notes here. Because there's... 
Did I mention this one's kind of weird? It's, like I said, it's kid-friendly in a way that I think a kid could get behind. Sure. So when all of a sudden, oh no, we have another attack, Mothra can turn into robots. Uh, A kid will just roll with that. Robo-Mothra monsters. Yeah, hold on. Good, we're fine. Okay, so uh, at the end... Uh, the lost civilization sinks back down at the ocean. Mothra's mm. succeeded in everything, and the uh, like. The princess gives one last message to the little kids, and it says, "Hey, kids, literally the ones in the movie, but also anyone watching, <laughs> the future is yours. You're the ones who can solve all the problems that were created by the people before you. All of these uh, uh, environmental." disasters, pollution, climate change. All of that is on you. Mm -hmm. Two things with that. One, uh, you did something about that and you created a monster. That was the whole plot of the movie. (laughs) So that's a mixed message. But secondly, they also say like the the two like um, evil, uh, uh, what do you you call them? Uh, Henchmen. Who are basically redeemed now. Uh, they can't hear the princess say this. And say, hey, who are you guys talking to? And the kids say, oh, well, adults can't hear this. It's a message only for children. And I'm like, that is why you fail. And let me explain why. (laughs) Because one of the problems that we're living with today (coughs) is that we have been telling young generations that the future is yours and you can solve all the problems. But the older generations aren't stepping down like look at least in this country america Mm. um the like average age of a politician in america like at (laughs) at least at the top is really old it's weird it's unusual to see someone even in their 30s being elected into the senate or to congress Mm. like it's not the norm they are not yielding the floor to people who actually have to live in the future to try to solve the problems that affect us in the future is one of the reasons why multiple generations are an existential crisis because we are constantly told the future is fucked and we are not allowed to do anything about it. I I think, um, so maybe the adults should know this. Perhaps. I I think that takes a little bit away from the kids. They can't say to the kids, Hey, here's a lesson for you. Here's an important message just for you. Mm -hmm. Also, the adults are hoarding power. (laughs) And you have to be really cautious of, like, that's a little bit too sophisticated a message for a Mothra movie. I appreciate that. Yeah. My point was simply this. I feel like if the adults had been allowed to hear that message, uh-huh. and then at least say, yeah, we should help the we should help the young generation out. Uh-huh. That would have been a positive thing to, to espouse. Yeah. And maybe, because here's the deal. Kids are going to watch this, yes. They're going to watch it with their parents a lot of the time. They're going to go to the theater with their parents if they're seeing it in a country where this was released theatrically. Uh, in America, it was released exclusively at home video. But they'll probably watch it with some of their parents in the room at least some of the time. Uh-huh. Maybe some of the messages that we throw into kids' movies are as important, if not more important, to impart to adults. Because, let's be honest mm-hmm. here... A lot of the times, we kind of whiff that stuff. Yeah, well, it's really frustrating because we keep putting those messages into kids' entertainment. Yeah. Uh, 
And then adults start watching those kids' entertainments. And we've gone through a whole generation of mm-hmm. adults who uh, were very, very fond of kids' entertainments. Mm-hmm. Like, the superheroes. Like, the, the, the kids who grew up with Captain Planet could realistically be grandparents now. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And they're still watching, like, the same stuff. Yeah. But, because it appeals to an older audience, yeah. those important messages that we say to kids are considered trite now. Mm-hmm. Or a little, yeah. bit, a little bit too simple. Kid stuff. Kid stuff. So the messages they have in there now are nothing. They're easy they're, to write off. They're, they're not uh, really focused on. They become very personal messages about how those characters have issues to deal with rather than uh, what these characters are doing pertaining to the larger world. Yeah. And it's especially uh, galling because a lot of these kids' entertainment take place in fantasy worlds. Yeah. Where the stakes aren't the same. Yeah. Where there's aliens attacking the Earth and it's easy to... Just say, oh, well, good guys defeat bad guys. And it's not mm. a- addressing any kind of sophisticated moral messaging any longer. The kid entertainments mm-hmm. were more thoughtful than a lot of the adolescent entertainments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we're still dealing and, with and that. I think so we, I think yeah. uh, if an adult is going to watch a kid entertainment, have that wholesome message in it. Yeah. Have something positive to take away from that. Yeah. And I think that's something that we run into now because mm. a lot of... Because we don't have... We still have kids' movies. We still have, like, we have a lot of movies that are specifically, like, for, like, adults. They're about adult issues and themes or whatever. But the types of movies that are very mainstream are what we call four-quadrant movies. Yeah. Uh, And it's a bit of an outdated mentality, but the idea of a four-quadrant movie is that it appeals to the four, what were considered the four demographics. Old and young. Uh Uh-huh. Male and female. Right. Both are binaries that I think are artificial, but regardless, this was the that's, idea. Yeah, that's how the markers think. Yeah, the, the, the gist is they should appeal to literally everyone. Literally everyone would want to see this. Those movies uh, don't tend to tackle a serious issue like that a lot. Mm. You don't see the Avengers solving environmental crises, even though yeah. they could. Thor that's, that's, could do that. that that's been a, a huge issue I've had with these, yeah. these superhero movies. The world has completely changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the world that these superheroes live in. And there's still homelessness. Like in yeah. one of those Ant-Man movies. Like, yeah. why aren't you solving that? Why aren't you, like, increasing the size yeah. of food so we'll go further, or, or, you know? like Stretching resources. Build tiny homes well, and then grow them. Well, consider know? this. How did Black Panther end? It ended with Wakanda saying, hey, listen, we're an advanced utopian civilization and we've been living in isolation because, well, we don't think very highly of you. Look at all the shit you do. But we have decided that we are going to become more public and we are going to share our technology and all of the things that we have learned and we're going to help actively make the world a better place, more like Wakanda. I don't know when we're going to do that because when Wakanda Forever came out, and obviously they mm. were written into a corner because of the tragedy uh, that befell Chadwick Boseman, but mm. um, they basically wrote back where all of a sudden, you know, Black Panther's mom is like, no, we're not doing that. Because then you have to actually change the world and you have to actually follow through yeah, on yeah. all of this. When you say we have a solution to how to fix the world, you then have to supply it. Right. And you can't. You can't perpetuate a fictional narrative universe mm. if you have a definitive third act. If there's a yeah. definitive third act, then it's over. Most superhero stories have a definitive first act 
where we're introduced to the characters, yeah, they are turned into a hero, they are molded into the type of person they're going to be, and then we have a permanent second act in which all of the fun and games happens, they're challenged, whatever, whatever. For, but, for decades and decades yeah, and decades. But there's no yeah. conclusion to their tale. And even if there is, it's usually what would be called like an Elseworlds tale. Like, The Dark Knight Returns is the final Batman story. It's also not canon. Mm. And even that had a sequel. <laughs> you can never end that. You can't have the bit where we actually solve all the problems. And as a result, a lot of these movies that are ostensibly made for all audiences or for adults to enjoy in a sort of uh, heroic ideal, they don't tend to tackle issues that in reality would be genuinely heroic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's really annoying. <laughs> uh, well, it gets into that, um, well, it gets into the God paradox, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, when, when you talk to, uh, you know, one of the, the sort of basic logical arguments um, against the existence of God mm. uh, is the problem of evil. Uh, yeah. Evil is in the world. Uh, and this is predicated on sort of like the the logical syllogisms that uh, God is all-knowing uh, and all-powerful yeah. and, and all-benevolent, those three things. Yeah. And uh, if there is evil, that means one of those things isn't true. Yeah. God either uh, is not benevolent and wants the, the evil to perpetuate, mm. is not all-powerful... And can't or, stop it. And, uh, yeah, can't stop it, or doesn't know about it, is not all-knowing. Yeah. Uh, so if there is evil, then the, the those three syllogisms about God can't be true. Yeah. Same thing about superheroes. Which, which, which makes the assumption that you believe in that version of a God. Exactly. Not all gods, I mean, this, a lot of gods are flawed. It's, it's, a, it's like, a very basic sort of logical... Construction it, it typically but, yeah. applied to more of a Christian version of God, where yeah, God um, is omnipotent, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, same thing with superheroes, yeah. Uh, if, if, if Iron Man if, is so great, if, if, if these if these know. heroes really were all powerful, then yeah. they would actually be addressing real world issues, yeah. I think the argument in those superhero movies is there's so much villainy, there's so mm -hmm. many interlopers, there's so much wickedness in the world, mm -hmm. there's more wickedness than there is heroism. That mm -hmm. we need these heroes to be constantly fighting against that, mm -hmm. rather than addressing world, real world issues. Well, is, you can actually deal with these <clears throat> things in a complicated well, way. But but then that goes to how much, uh, and I see I see it as like funding the military. We're giving mm -hmm. all this money to the military because they have to fight these others. The it's all mm -hmm. and it's all based in xenophobia all of a sudden. Yeah, when you have a hammer, uh, everything looks like a nail yeah, at some point. Exactly. We're military, so we're, we're, we're going to fund the military and we're going to fund the military yeah. and now we don't have mo enough money to fund schools. You know, that, yeah. that kind of shit. Yeah, I had a point. Um, Sorry. No, 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 no. It's fine. Oh, but I was there. There are ways though that you can actually address this within a superhero narrative uh, and. You know, it's not a good movie, but it's got a great premise. Uh, Superman 4 is a good example of this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Superman 4 is, is exactly tackling this. If Superman is so great, why are we in a cold war and afraid of nuclear annihilation? Why doesn't Superman do something about that? A child writes a letter to the Daily mm. Planet, says, Superman, we're constantly afraid of nuclear, you know, annihilation. You're Superman. Mm. Would you mind? And Superman <clears throat> is like, Shit, you know what? I should do something about that. Uh -huh. I'm Superman. I have, with great, that's not his line, but with great power comes great responsibility. I have responsibility to do something about this. So he takes all of the nuclear weapons in the world and he throws them into the sun. Mm -hmm. Like a Superman would do. <laughs> but here's the thing. 
You can <coughs> remove all the nuclear weapons. What you can't remove is the part of humanity that wants to use them. Mm. So now that we no longer have nuclear weapons, the arms race is against Superman. So all of the, uh, you know, the dictators, the weapons merchants, whatever, they turn to Lex Luthor and they say, hey, listen, we, we Superman, is, back. Yeah. Superman is the world power. We need to come up with a way to defend ourselves against him. And, and Lex Luthor in turn says, that's a good idea. I will clone Superman and I'll put some of me in there just for fun. <laughs> and I'll create... A, an evil version of Superman, so called, that there will be a balance. Nu nuclear man. Called Nuclear yeah. Man. This is not subtle. And you know what? That's not an unintelligent story. The That's sto actually, that the, the story, story is, is solid. Fine, the movie is, is it's cheap. It's cheap and written. badly written, but yeah. Right, but the premise is, I think, the best Superman movie premise we've ever had. It's outside of you know his basic origin story, which because it challenges Superman mm -hmm. in a variety of ways, physically, philosophically personally and at the end superman actually has to concede i'm not god mm. i'm not perfect i can't solve your problems because i don't know how so mm. you're gonna have to do some fucking work <laughs> just because i exist doesn't mean i'm gonna solve all your problems mm. you actually have to do some of it that's a good story and it addressed serious relevant issues in a way that should have been fun but it was cheap and it was badly written pisses me off <laughs> that movie because it was so cheap and badly written it gets written off so much because there's so much good in it <laughs> really yeah, even well, Lenny Luthor is the only competent henchman Lex <laughs> Luthor ever had yeah, he's like, annoying but he's like John Cryer who would go on to play Lex Luthor oh did he yeah in, in Supergirl like... the show oh, oh okay yeah I, yeah, I didn't know he, that he played Lex Luthor I just really like John Cryer <laughs> I like John Cryer too but like he, he's, uh, he's playing like this weird like 80s cliche teen but he's competent. Ned mm. Beatty wasn't competent. He's a good actor, but he wasn't a competent sidekick to Lex Luthor. Yeah. Miss Teschmacher sucked. I she portrayed that, him at every turn. So I, I think our point here is that um, Kid Entertainment, mm -hmm. in being kind of condescending toward its audience and mm -hmm. and giving very simple morals to a younger audience, you know, mm -hmm. unsophisticated lessons to mm -hmm. kids who can understand something like unsophisticated, that. Unsophisticated, but generally unassailable. Uh, yeah. Uh, are probably going to be a little bit more morally sophisticated mm. than the adolescent garbage that we tend to overeat uh, in our teen years. At, at the very least, the mainstream type stuff. There's yeah, plenty yeah. of nuanced, oh, golly, exciting yeah, yeah, yeah. art. We're talking about talking what about, is considered like, four-quadrant. Yeah, yeah. Four-quadrant entertainment for adolescents and up mm. tend to... They'll claim a theme, but they don't tend to actually sell it. Mm. And kids entertainment, you know, and again, it's a bit obvious, but we want people to have morals, right? Yeah. We yeah. want we're, people we're... to have good values. And, and we can disagree a little bit on what mm. some of those values are, but I think we can all agree we want a planet that we can live on, right? And when we have a character like Mothra, mm -hmm. who is clearly an extrapolation of the health of the planet... And uh, the, yeah. at the what happens at the very beginning of this movie? They're, they're, all those starfish float up and start attaching themselves and attacking people. Mm -hmm. And then they literally and, and do the, that to Mothra. Mothra's representation of the planet. They're yeah. talking and they're talking about pollution. So yeah. those things are clearly like some sort of poison, like yeah. a metaphorical pollution. Yeah, they're parasite. Living, they're basically. living creatures, but yeah, they're they're parasites. Mm -hmm. They're they're this representation of of mm. the damage done to Earth, and that begins to hurt Mothra. Uh -huh. We have to rally. So we have to remind ourselves of our traditions 
by connecting with our past, with mm-hmm. the tradition, with the civilizations that mm-hmm. have always been here. Mm-hmm. And uh, we I think can learn from. And we can learn from. I think that's especially relevant in Japan because that's, uh, compared to America, a Much very old country. country. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to restore the natural world and remind ourselves that we are part of a greater civilization, greater, longer human history mm-hmm. than uh, what's right in front of us. I think we don't see that as much in American entertainment because we're such a young country. Mm, uh, it's a, a lot, easy, it's but... a lot, lot more about conquering, isn't mm. it? It's a lot more about overcoming an interloper than it is about living in harmony with the planet. I don't entirely disagree, but I think it's a little simplistic. Uh, well, but I am talking about kids' entertainment. Yeah, so. fair enough. Whitney? Yeah. Well, I think we got more out of this than I thought we were going to. <laughs> Whitney, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question here, and I and I and I and I and I mean that I never thought I'd ask this question. All right. Did we just win a Pulitzer? <laughs> I think we just won a Pulitzer for I, criticism for our review hmm. of, of Rebirth, Rebirth of Mothra Two. I don't know how you submit this to we, the Pulitzer Bureau. Can, can we Zero. submit this podcast? Yeah. What 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 critical bodies do, can this do, get us do into? Do we know anyone connected to the Pulitzers, mm. the, 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 the the prize bureau company? I don't know what they are. The, just say the Pulitzers. The Pulitzers. You know, do is a little bit more colloquial. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Sounds right. like you know what you're talking of, about. Of the Boston Pulitzers. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for listening to Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. Peppermint Mintidence of the Bridgeport Mintidence. I I warned you this would be a weird one. Um, Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for joining us. Uh, If you want to talk about anything we discussed in this episode, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Uh, You can send us a fiscal letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yes. Uh, And uh, if you want to listen to uh, future episodes of Thank Godzilla, It's Friday, ad-free and a week early, mm-hmm. head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, where in addition to doing that and being able to uh, uh, hear all of our new podcasts ad-free, you can also access a lot of our other shows. A lot of them are Patreon-exclusive shows, like our Star Trek podcast, All Our Yesterdays. We review every single episode of Star Trek ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got shows dedicated to every single uh, uh, Best Picture nominee in the Academy Awards history. We've got uh, podcasts that are completed. You can get the complete run of we reviewed every single Adam West Batman show uh, and, and many more besides. Uh, next time on Thank Godzilla, It's Friday. I don't know if we're going to be thankful <laughs> because we're finally getting to Roland Emmerich's Godzilla. Yeah, the first all-American Godzilla film. Mm-hmm. It was an, an American Godzilla TV program, an animated series. Yep. Uh, first American Godzilla picture. Yep. Uh, first CG Godzilla. Fully CG. Yeah. Fully CG yeah. Godzilla. Um, yeah. All American cast. No. Genre knows French. Uh, okay, fair. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Help me out. Mostly American cast. <laughs> yeah, it's an American production. Yeah. It's a big Hollywood version. Mm. Of Godzilla. And uh, we'll talk all about its ad campaign, which is a big oh part boy. of it. Yeah. Uh, I will, soundtrack. It was, it, it was a big old soundtrack. It's, it's, it was, it was Taco a gi- Bell ads. Gigantic American commercial enterprise mm-hmm. that just dragged Godzilla through the dirt. 
I've, I've, I've heard some people, some people have already contacted, you know, mm. left us a message or something on Twitter uh, saying that um, they, they don't know if they're excited or terrified. <laughs> like, do, do I want to relive this? Do I want to watch this? Well, mm. you, you have an opportunity. And if you don't want to relive it, if you don't want to ever watch it for the first time, we will guide you through it all next time on Thank Godzilla, It's Friday. So thank you, everybody, once again. Oh, and if you want to follow us on social media, we're at Critic Acclaim. I'm Matt William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And, um, yeah, that's it. Rower. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. <laughs>